everybody. Come on back in. It's time for the last session. Time to bring it home. Everybody has been very patient, and it's amazing to me that you have come to a marriage conference, and we've talked all, all around marriage and all around the relationship, but it's amazing that we could have gone through five sessions, and finally, we're getting to the session on the relationship directly. It all affects it indirectly. It's all foundational, and the reason we spend so much time talking about all that foundational stuff is that's the stuff that has largely been neglected by most people, and it's the reason that we find that more often than not, if a relationship is either struggling or is less than it could be, that that's the, that's the reason, is that there are some of the basics, some of the foundations that have been missed, and you know, you're trying to build a great marriage on faulty foundation, it's not going to work. I want to make a couple of comments to you uh, about the workbook. Um, in the workbook, there's a number of things, including exercises and, and discussion questions and stuff like that, that are really, really valuable and powerful to, uh, to go through. But we did that so you could do it on your own. In addition, though, when you see the discussion questions at the end of each session, um, we did that very, partic- very specially because this is used by many people as a small group curriculum. And actually... We have available, some years ago, there's a church in Toledo, Ohio, of all places, that brought us in and made it available to us (coughs) to use all their very high-tech video equipment to videotape the conference. So we have the the conference on DVD, and and these uh, workbooks actually go with that so that people can either show it at the church or use it in a small group or a Sunday school class or something like that. It's six sessions, and you can see the length of the session, so obviously, you know, you, you, people typically break it into, into halves and do half of it one week and half another, so you've got a 12-week study. Um, but that's what those are for, and they are available, and just wanted to point it out, including, you know, myths and truths, which some of which we did, and lots of scripture references uh, for you to consider and be discerning with. Um, also, just want to remind you, at the end of this session we would ask you to take just a couple minutes and do the evaluation on the back and maybe set it on the, oh, in the basket in the back as you leave. Uh, Karen was just holding that up for me. And uh, um, that would mean a lot to us. We really do care about the quality of what we do, and unless we get good feedback from people of what they liked and what didn't work, uh, what, you know, different suggestions and stuff like that, we won't know how to improve what we do. And also in the back, it does um, ask if you'd like more information on various things, including intensives, this conference, and bringing it other places, um, how you can be involved, and if you want to be part of our free monthly newsletter, which everyone here is uh, um, able to be part of if you'd like to get. comes out once a month. Um, all right, so here we go. Session six, finally, making it great, caring for your marriage. All right, the final step to bring that all-desired place of safety into your marriage and grow it to the degree that it can so all the rest of it works well. Okay. Now, this is where it's going to get interesting because this is where you bring all the pieces together. So caring for your marriage, step one. I want to encourage you to embrace and engage the adventure. Um. Everybody that I know 
whether they realize it or not, and guys, I'm going to tell you, this goes for you too, starts off with marriage with a happily ever after fantasy. It's just so pervasive in our culture. Now, guys a lot of times don't realize they have it, but I'm going to show you that they do, okay? Women, easier, okay? It's easier to prove this to women because, you know, when women are little girls, many times they sit around dreaming about the day they get married and they will be in all of their beauty and all of their glory and they will be the princess for a day and, you know, and their, their knight in shining armor will come and, you know, whatever your fantasy is around there, whatever it was like, dreaming of this day. That's a pretty common thing for a, a gal to imagine spend time dreaming about, thinking about, and ideas and pictures of that are kind of around you all the time. Although I ask guys quite frequently, how many guys spent much time dreaming about their wedding day? And guys kind of look at me like, what? I mean, I know a lot of guys that think a lot about their wedding night, okay? But I don't know as many, too many guys thinking about their wedding day, okay? So it's harder to think that guys have a happily ever after fantasy, but people, I'm telling you, We do, and here's how you know. How long do you think it takes before the average couple bumps into their first disappointment? Yeah, an hour and a half. Okay, it's usually not too long. Matter of fact, it's interesting that I've discovered, I I haven't done this formally yet, but I've kind of noticed that there is two places where couples hit the skids badly many times, and often never really recover. I mean, they limp along, they find a way to just kind of package it up and deal with it, but they never really get through it. The second one, which isn't nearly as significant as the first, is the birth of the first child. It's amazing how many people aren't really prepared for what they got coming. No matter how much you think about it, no matter how many books you read, all of a sudden, you're going, whoa, this is not what I was expecting. You know, and a lot of times it seems like you ladies look at us guys and all of a sudden you have different expectations for how we're to show up, but it wasn't well communicated ahead of time. And we're going, wait a minute, I don't know that I signed up for this deal. And and when things change for us and we start thinking, hey, how come it can't be the way it was? And it's never going to be the same after that and all this kind of stuff. And guys, I could go in, I could go on and on about how, what that is and how to fix it, but I don't have time right now, okay? The, The first one though, the most significant one, by far, is the wedding or the honeymoon. I trace the the origins of people's challenges to the wedding or the honeymoon more often than any place else. And obviously, they get past it or they wouldn't stay married, but they never understood what happened. It startled them, scared them, And they never really got it under control. They just managed, limped along. And then after a little while, what you find happens is that people start going, okay, well, this isn't exactly what I imagined it would be, but maybe my fantasies were a little bit unrealistic. And we start dumbing down our expectations until after a while we go, okay, I guess this is all I'm going to get. Now, here's what I wanted to say about guys and their happily ever after fantasy. When that happens the first time, this is what goes through a guy's mind. Hey, wait, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. All right, now I want to ask you, when somebody has that thought, what are they comparing what's happening to? Folks, it's a fantasy that we painted in our head. 
And this is the logic of what they're saying. This is kind of goofy, but this is where we go. We're basically saying that the picture I painted in my fantasy, the picture in my head, should take precedence over reality. Okay, that's just plain silly. But that's what we think, okay? What I imagine, we get attached to the pictures we paint in our mind, and we don't realize that we painted it, let alone that we're attached to it. And when reality shows up different than my fantasy, I think my fantasy should be the priority. That's plain silly. That's not rational, logical, but it's what we do. Now, I'm saying something different Guys, when you get married, gals, when you get married, you are embarking together on a journey, and it's going to be an adventure. Whether you like it or not, I promise you, this life is filled with unexpected surprises. And some of them you're going to like, and some of them you're not. I'm really clear, this ain't the garden. God planned us for the garden, and we sort of messed it up, and we continue to mess it up, and this isn't it. I thank God this is not my final resting place. Now, we have more opportunity than just about any civilization that has ever been on this planet to create a really nice reality. I mean, the affluence that we have in this culture compared to most any place in history, the ability for me to go to my hotel last night, the iHotel over by campus, and to be in this really cool climate-controlled environment on my really comfy bed with my flat-screen television and my restaurant right downstairs and kind of have all the creature comforts and go, okay, this is kind of nice. But guys, this isn't heaven. Not even close. But we can pretend that we can make it that way. And I used to do a better job of that until I became a therapist. And I started dealing with people of wealth and affluence like we all are. And realizing that, guys, the horrors of this world touch us all. Whether you like it or not. And things are going to happen that you never imagined. Like a few years ago, when my eldest son informed us that their second child was on the way. And about three months before she was born, we found out that there was going to be problems. And when she was born, she, was, she looked fine. But my son and my daughter-in-law um, met with the doctors after they did an evaluation on my little granddaughter. And they called us all into the room. They, each, of, each of them are one of four children, so all of the siblings and significant others and all four parents were in the room listening to my son describe with tears running down his cheeks the reality of my granddaughter's condition. She had a condition called hydranencephaly. And it means basically what happened is that apparently she had a stroke in the womb and it stopped the development of her brain and she was born missing 80% of her brain. And they said uh, they wanted to just let her go. And, you know, don't, don't, you know, you don't, she's not going to be viable. For me. Short, they said, best case scenario, she'll have a run of five months to three, to three years. 
and you know, basically saying she's a mistake, she's a tragedy. And my son stood before us and said, guys, she's not a tragedy, she's a gift. And I don't know why she's here, I don't know what her purpose is, but I know she's here for a reason and we're going to find out why. And I went, okay, son, I can step up to that. Amen. And uh, a year ago, last Valentine's Day, we lost her. Guys, I can't tell you how hard it was. Not just because we lost her, because, guys, there was ways in which the day we lost her, it was like, oh, thank God she's in Jesus' arms whole for the first time. Um, but it was watching them have to walk that out for two and a half years was gut-wrenching. Gut-wrenching. But it changed us all. It changed us all. At the memorial, my youngest son stood up, a 19-year-old boy, young man, with the maturity of someone well beyond his years, and said, guys, one of the things about Roche is that... Uh, she came and she brought gifts to us, and she brought us together in ways we didn't know we were apart. And I thought, wow, she changed us all. Guys, I guarantee you, when I was sitting down imagining the adventure of my life with my wife and family, I would have never written that into the story. Now, I wouldn't want it any other way, even though the pain of it was gripping but it challenged us all to grow in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise. And guys, when you sign up to be married, I mean, realistically, we're all works in progress. And I know my goal is to become more completely conformed to the image of Christ. And guess what? I am painfully aware at this point that at my age, there ain't, enough, there ain't enough days left in this life to pull it off. I got too much work ahead of me. I can't actually get there in this life. So I guess the best I can do is just keep making sure every day I'm moving one step closer. That's my goal. And guess who gets to deal with it and all the issues along the way? My lovely wife, Jenny. And her goal is to become completely conformed to the image of Christ. And as much as she's amazing, there ain't enough days left in this life for her to pull it off either. And all the residuals and all the the along-the-way stuff, I get to deal with. And sometimes it's tough. And sometimes it's amazing. And it's never boring. So this is about accepting the adventure, and embracing the adventure of becoming and growing. And I'm telling you, I'm clear this isn't my final resting place, and as much as I believe there are amazing opportunities and experiences that I have the privilege of having here in this life and in my service to Christ to accomplish His ends, I know that what I have coming is far beyond that, And some of the horrors of this world will not be there then. So in the meantime, I want to do all I can to lock arms with my beautiful bride and walk this out together, come what may, doing the best we can to figure out how to grow and become more the people we're created to be and let the circumstances point out areas where growth needs to occur. Thank God for all the blessings. And be there to encourage and support one another along the way. 
That's just the reality of it. That may not be the happily ever after fantasy picture, but I think that is the reality picture of what this is, meant, is, is supposed to be about. So really, when I picked Jenny to be my bride, I didn't realize it at the time, but I realize now all I was really choosing was not my happily ever after partner, but it was really my journeying partner. This is the person that I will walk through life with regardless of what it throws at us and find a way to love each other, support each other, grow together, and honor God. So the destination for me of this adventure is to create a marriage that both are thrilled with, and I want to make sure that you don't miss that piece, that both are thrilled with where we share Christ's love and glorify him. And the responsibility for this is shared, okay? I am responsible fully to be the man that God created me to be, She is fully responsible to be the woman God created her to be. But together, we create and invest in and nurture this journey of the Bob and Jenny Paul story. And I got to tell you, it's a pretty remarkable story at this point. I'm glad we hung in there long enough beyond when all the people were telling us to pack it in and be done with it, cut our losses and get out. Because, you know, even though every one of our children came to us and said, guys, just stop it already. We now have them going, okay, I get it now. It makes sense. It's a very powerful testimony. And I could understand because I wasn't so sure there was any point in sticking it out. I get it now. So true adventure is an inspired, lifelong journey with the Lord. Number two, create romance and passion. All right, so I got some good news for you. Um, Romance and passion is something we are capable of creating in endless amounts. You get to decide how much you want and how much you don't. And if you think more is better, you can create more. And guys, I've got good news for you. It's probably not the process you're imagining it to be, thank God. Because most guys I know, you know, most, most every man I know actually likes the idea of romance and passion, even if they don't seem very romantic. You know why guys quit? Guys are like this about almost everything. Guys generally walk away from any situation they find themselves in where they feel set up to fail. Okay? If we don't feel we're going to be successful at something, we'll just take our toys and go home. We won't play. We got to feel there's a reasonable opportunity for success. And guys, before this next segment is done, I'm going to talk to you about what success actually is and how to get there in a way that will set you up to be heroes. And most guys kind of resonate with that. Most, most boys, when we're little boys, we kind of play games that where we're the hero. I just don't see gals doing that play that often. So for some reason, that doesn't seem to resonate nearly as deeply in your soul as it does in the soul of a guy. But I always played games where in the end, when I was a kid, I was the hero. And I like that deal. So this is a setup to be a hero. Um, 
Let me tell you a few things romance isn't, okay? Romance is not created by things like, oh, this is a lie, okay? Romance is created by things like giving flowers, cards, gifts, or having candlelight dinners and walks on the beach, okay? Thank God that's not the case, okay? Because these are, these are the places where I always felt set up. Um, the essence of true romance is fascination and interest in the other person. Okay, let me tell you why I say that. This is the key, and this is such good news, it makes it so much more doable. All right, if you think that romance is about all those fancy gifts, all right, or let's say you want to create the ideal romantic environment, okay, whatever it is, and that's different for people, you decide. I mean, for some it might be um, uh, sitting uh, in front of a roaring fire on a cold winter evening on a bearskin rug drinking hot cocoa or whatever your beverage of choice happens to be, okay? Or maybe for you it would be going to your favorite little, little Italian restaurant with linen tablecloths and candlelight dinner uh, with Vinny at, the, at your table playing a violin or whatever, okay? Or perhaps like for me, a walk on a moonlit beach and a warm summer's evening with the stars twinkling in the sky and the waves gently lapping on the shore. Okay, now, here's why I, I'm telling you none of those things create romance, okay? You take any two people that have zero interest in each other and stick them in the most romantic scenario you can find. And guys, I promise you, nothing going to happen, okay? But you take two people who are fascinated with each other and you stick them in the middle of a Walmart parking lot on a cold, drizzly, dreary evening and you're going to see sparks flying for miles because the essence of true romance is fascination and interest in the other person, not all those trappings. Now, just because you can find romance in a Walmart parking lot doesn't mean that's where you want to build your camp, okay? (laughs) Because now if you have the fascination and the interest in each other and you start adding some of the trappings, you can fan that flame and make it grow brighter. But if you don't have the foundation covered, nothing's going to happen. Now, that's big news, Because this is something you have control over. This is a place where you can be empowered. Let me tell you for a moment, one of the saddest counseling sessions I ever had to endure. I had a guy show up, and he had had an affair. And it was pretty traumatic to everybody, including him. Because you see, this guy was a pretty devout believer, and he really let himself down, and he knew it. And he did some work before he came to see me that's not the typical work that a person does, and I was impressed by it. He actually really took time to to search his soul and find out why he acted out. And this is what he came up with. He came in with his wife, and he said, Bob, I sat back and I realized that the reason that I had the affair was that the romance and passion in my marriage had really just gone cold. And unconsciously, it scared me. This is great insight. And I was feeling like I was dying inside. And I realize in hindsight now that I was acting out in a way to kind of feel alive again. And he said, I know that it's so far from who God has called me to be. I don't want to be that way. So we're here to see if you can help us rekindle the romance. And I went ahead and I shared with him what I just shared with you. And this is what he did. 
I don't buy it. And I said, why? He said, Bob, I mean, you can see, my wife is truly one of the sweetest, most loving human beings that has ever walked the face of the earth. But Bob, she's just not that complicated. And he said, I know everything there is to know about her already. To the point that, and he waves his finger at both of us, he says, I would dare either of you to come up with any single thing about her that I don't already know. And I went, buddy, if that's the case, you're sunk. There's no hope for romance in this marriage. Now, I knew he was wrong because, folks, whether you realize it or not, one lifetime is not close to enough time to fully get to know any human being, yourself included. I mean, guys, I have been with my wife now for over 33 years, and I am still learning new things about that woman. And just to keep it interesting, she keeps changing on me. (laughs) But guys, if you get that this is the essence, that's good news. Because if she's changing and God's changing her, there's still something new to learn. And that's good because I don't want to feel dead inside. I want a life filled with romance and passion. And this is the only hope. You need to understand, boredom is 100% man-made. There is nothing inherently boring in this life. Now, you can let yourself get bored, but in order to get bored, you've got to turn off the natural curiosity and fascination that God endowed you with. You've got to shut it down. You've got to think, you've got to start believing that you've seen it all before. There's nothing new to learn. And that's just plain silly, especially in an information age like we have today. If you don't have anything new to learn, just turn on the stinking internet and you'll find, you type any question you want and 5,000 pages of information will show up. Now you just have to decide that none of it is very interesting and you don't want to learn anything and then okay, then you can just be a living dead person. That's your option. You can do that if you want. But if you want to be alive, if you want to be inspired and excited, you have to stay engaged and interested and learning and growing. It's the only hope. And a spouse can be a lifelong study of fascination. Now, you can also be completely turned off by it or scared by the process if you choose to be. But if you get that this is the key to feeling alive inside and romance and passion is intimately and directly tied to it and you get that intimacy is nothing more than the journey of knowing and being known, that's all intimacy is at its core, the journey of knowing and being known, which is why in the Old Testament, if you see a passage that says he knew her, what he, they're referring to there is that they were sexually intimate, not because sex and intimacy are the same thing, but because um, sexuality is a deepening of a knowing. It's part of the knowing journey, the getting to know each other. Okay, and if, if one lifetime, I'll tell you where I see people really being sad spiritually is they don't realize that if they want to have a romantic and passionate relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and our Father in heaven. It's the same deal, guys. And if you think one lifetime isn't enough to get to know any human being, a hundred lifetimes isn't enough to get to know our God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. Yet how many people have been in church for their whole life, read the Bible maybe dozens of, of times, and get to the point where it starts to all feel like same old, same old. Nothing new to learn. I know it all already. If you go there, you're a fool. And you are grossly missing out on what is there for you. Because God is so far beyond our ability for our little pea brains to get itself around. And if you want to stay engaged and inspired and alive in your faith, you just need to understand the principle works here too. And getting to know yourself. Anybody besides me ever surprised by themselves at times? <laughs> I find myself going places and feeling things and doing things and thinking things. I'm going, who the heck are you? And then I keep changing. I mean, I've noticed as I get older, I'm starting to become more particular about certain things that I used to not care about when I was younger. Like, if God forbid the company that, that makes my shampoo decides to discontinue it, it really upsets me because I like that shampoo and I don't want to change. And I'm going, who are you? I was, I was always about changing everything. But that's just this new me that's coming into being. All right, so... Romance and passion naturally fade over in a marriage over time. Baloney. Romance and passion only fade when people lose their natural curiosity and interest. Because true romance is a deep, lifelong fascination in my mate, in your mate. And I want to tell you, you want to speak to the heart of a woman. Now, I say this having talked to many, many women about this, not just my wife. And, and guys, I'm going to tell you this, just, you know, I'm one, guy to guy, okay? Um, I am relatively fluent in womanese, okay? I have spent years learning to speak that language, and it is a foreign language, okay? They, they, you think they're talking English, but I'm telling you, they're talking something else, Okay, same words, but they mean different things. And if, if we sit, and it goes the same way the other way, gals. If you think because the, you're hearing the words in English and you think you understand what's behind those words as a guy, you're missing it, okay? This is a place where we want to hear, really learn, and step into the frame of the other person. Like Bob was talking about, um, you know, his fix-it mode, okay? We've been told, this is wrong, guys get a bad rap sometimes. We've been told that guys don't communicate properly because we go into fix-it mode. That's a bunch of baloney. We communicate fine, all right? We just communicate guy way, you know, guy language, all right? Because if I go to my brother here and I got a problem, okay, and I say, hey, man, what's your name? Mike. I say, hey, Mike, I got a problem. You're, my, you're a good buddy of mine. What do I want from you, Mike? As a guy, I got a problem, and I come to you with my problem. What do I want to have? What do I want to hear from you? Yeah. That's right. Okay. If you, go, if you show up with, with empathy and you go, oh, Bob, that must be really tough for you. I'm going to go, that's the last time I go to Mike when I got a problem. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, I know you were trying to get the right answer because that's what we've been conditioned to believe is that, but that's not the way guys communicate. If I go to you with a problem, I'm coming to you because I want your best game, brother, and I feel you got game, and you're going to bring me your best game. 
And I don't want empathy and support. I go to a woman if I wanted that, okay? <laughs> I want help, okay? And that's how we communicate, and that's not wrong. But it's only sometimes, and I want to qualify this because you, you ladies are just plain frustrating sometimes. It's sometimes what ladies want. Okay, now I don't understand how you do this. But as women, you seem to have this radar that men are not endowed with to be able to determine which response to give. I, don't, I watch it happen, and I don't know how you know that this time the woman that you're talking to wants help with fixing it, and this time she just wants you to listen and empathize. How can you figure that out? I'm listening, and I'm going, what do I do? And Jenny comes to me, and I got that deer in headlights, and I'm like, uh-oh, I know I'm going to guess, and whichever way I guess, I'm going to guess wrong. I know it. Okay, because I, I don't have that gear. I'm a guy. So I got to ask, okay, right now, Jenny, do you want me to help you fix this or do you just want to listen, like Bob said? Now, sometimes women get frustrated because they think guys should just know, like ladies do. That's not fair. We weren't given that gear. I don't know how to do it. So be patient with the guys. If they actually are caring enough to ask, it's not because they're stupid. It's because we're geared differently. We're wired differently. We think and we, we talk differently. And it's really caring to actually ask instead of just go into fix-it mode and think it's... But understand why we do that. It's because how we're wired. Now, guys, on the other hand, you want to speak to a lady's heart. You want her to know how much you love her. Let yourself be captivated by her. And drawn by the passion of your curiosity to just get to know her better. And that you let her know that you are excited about spending the rest of your life trying to get to know her. As guys are getting a little huddle, we would talk about that in terms of trying to figure her out, okay? And we would know what that meant. But that wouldn't be nearly as, as, as meaningful to your hearts as to say, I'm captivated by you. I'm fascinated by you. And sometimes I'm just going, and Jenny, you confuse the dickens out of me. But that's okay. Because I get that this is the essence of romance. And guys, confusion is not the enemy, it is not something to be feared. It is the foundation of curiosity. So, the third step, develop the art of curiosity. Notice that for romance to happen... There has to be something you don't understand that you're interested in understanding. That's the key. So, I'm going to share with you one skill that if you want to do more than any other thing to grow a relationship, become great at this skill. And it's nothing that's hard to do. But, but it takes work to become great at this. takes a lot of work. This is the skill. Learn to come up with and ask great questions. That is the key. Does that make sense? Guys, think about it in terms of how this plays out in science. What is the greatest skill of a great scientist? They are great at asking good questions, and not all questions are equal. 
A scientist has to hone the questions to get to the answers they're looking for. And if they don't ask the right questions, they ain't going to find what they're looking for. And I'm telling you, there is no skill I know of on the face of the earth that will do more to grow a marriage and any relationship than that one right there. Think about when you've met somebody, just anybody, who all of a sudden thinks that you are the coolest person they have ever met. What do they do? They just start hanging on your every word and asking questions about your life and about your interests and about what you know and about what you think and so forth. And how do you feel after you've had a conversation like that where that person is just going, really? Are you kidding? Tell me, when did you do that? What was that about? And they're just leaning in like that. And you kind of walk away and you go, "Ah, that was kind of cool. I really like that person. What was their name? You know, they don't even need to know their name. They just leaning in and they think you're the coolest thing in the whole world. And you think that that was, that they're pretty cool because they were interested in you and what you're interested in. It's not that complicated. And asking basic questions, it's what happens in infatuation. When a, when, a, when a dating relationship starts and you're in that infatuation stage, what makes it so exciting is you just met this person that you think is the coolest person in the whole world and you just can't get enough of them. You just want to talk about everything you could think of to talk about and, and uh, you find them fascinating and their differences just delight you. I mean, they don't really tell you that more often than not that those same things that delighted you when you first met are going to be the key things that irritate the snot out of you later on. But, uh, but they're fascinating at first because they're so different. And you love that. And then, unfortunately, what happens a lot, now this is very much a stereotype, and there's a lot of ways in which it's not just this way, but it's common, is that then we go ahead and get married, and what does the guy typically do? Well, he goes, okay, now i got to get on with the next thing i got to accomplish. And he goes on to start building his career and start doing all this other stuff, and he stops doing what he was doing in the dating stage. And then the relationship starts to go cold and stale, and especially for the ladies, typically, because they don't understand why it seems like he's not interested anymore. And it's really not that he's not interested. It's that he doesn't realize that... You don't just accomplish this task, then put it away and go on to this other one and think that the relationship's going to stay as exciting as it was when you were dating. It doesn't work that way, but us guys aren't told that very often or very well. So we don't realize that's what's happening. And then we all get busy, and Satan wants us to get really, really busy so we don't have time to stay interested in each other. And we all have busyness sickness now in this culture. And our relationships suffer because of it. And all you got to do to turn it around is become great at asking questions. And this is where curiosity, I mean, where confusion becomes your friend. And it plays out in so many places. Guys, I could give you my, my little soapbox issues like around the educational system. Our educational system is so badly broken in our culture. And it's broken at the very core And here's how it's broken. And it's not often identified as this. But we have changed our whole educational system into something where when kids go to school, we spend all of those hours providing for them answers to questions they haven't asked. And when you provide somebody answers to questions they haven't asked, the answers are meaningless. 
And all they have to do is memorize facts and answers. And what really is the heart of education is when you first have help a young person grow, grow birth to and give birth to a passionate question. And then you help provide them the tools to seek out answers to their questions. And then when they find them, they have that moment of discovery. And it's like, wow, this is so cool. I get it now. But if they didn't ask the question first, and then they just get the answer, the answer to what, so what, who cares? It's only when they own the question that the answers are meaningful. And I'm convinced that even though we kind of like answers, oftentimes, when it comes to life, when it comes to love, when it comes to passion, when it comes to intimacy, the questions are more valuable than the answers. You're better off to passionately own an unanswered question than to have to, to completely own an answer to a question you don't care about or don't even know what it is. Does that make sense? So in your marriages, let's relate it, and your relationships, you've got to let yourself be curious. Okay, Jenny, that is so confusing. I cannot figure out why in the world you go here and think that and do that. Now, if I don't realize that there's my golden opportunity right there, I'm just going to be frustrated and irritated by it instead of going, but you sure are fascinating. I'd sure like to figure that out, not judge it, because judgment is oftentimes the opposite of curiosity. It's not that it's wrong, even though sometimes I can go, that seems kind of silly. I wouldn't do it that way. It's not wrong. So, as Bob said in the last session, I am big on earning a Ph.D. in your spouse. I am um, enrolled in a Ph.D. program in Jenny Paul. I am counting on the fact that I will not get my diploma this side of heaven. I, matter of fact, don't want to end this course of study this side of heaven because then I start to die inside and I don't like, I'm afraid of boredom. I don't want to be a living dead person. And I don't want my relationship to die and grow cold. So I'd just as soon be studying my wife from now on till the day I die. And I'm excited about that. And I do that with passion. And it's frustrating at times. And it's confusing at times. Matter of fact, there was a period of time when I didn't understand this at all. And I was determined. I was sitting there thinking I was an idiot. Okay, because I really wanted romance and passion in my life, and I just couldn't seem to, to get it going with my wife. No matter how, and this is where guys get frustrated. No matter how hard I tried, it never seemed to be enough. Any, any people here ever have that feeling? No matter what I would do, and I might have a couple moments of glory, you know, which was just sort of added to the frustration, like I'd create this romantic evening and all this kind of stuff, and, and, uh, and sometimes it would really work. And this is where guys really get frustrated. Then the next week, I try and do something just like it, and it didn't work that day. And I'm thinking, okay, guys like kind of some kind of predictability. And if it worked yesterday, I want it to work today. Okay, now, this is something I've learned about you ladies, and please take this as something that I find to be actually fascinating, not irritating, okay? You guys aren't that predictable. It, just because it, something worked yesterday and made you just thrilled doesn't mean it's going to work today, which drives men nuts. 
because we like predictability. We like to know we're going to hit the nail on the head. We like to know we're going to be successful. At what, if we're going to do this, we need to know it's going to work. And if you keep changing every day, how the heck are we going to pull that off? Which is a problem unless you understand, first of all, that you ladies don't do this on purpose. I really get this. Okay, you're wired. You got hormonal stuff going on that makes you feel different from day to day, from moment to moment. I get that. Guys don't have that. We have this sort of steady testosterone flush that sort of doesn't change much through the week, through the month. Okay, you don't have that that opportunity. Your hormones are shifting. And if you look at, at just estrogen and progesterone on a graph on a monthly cycle, it's like an intersecting wave pattern, okay? God designed it, okay? But hormones radically affect how you feel at any given moment. And guys, you, if you, don't, you need to get this if you don't know this, okay? Because we don't understand because we feel reasonably similar, okay? It is not that way for women. And what worked today, even physically. What feels good today may not feel good tomorrow, okay? It's not your fault, ladies. It's the way you're designed, and it's only a problem if you think it should be different than that. And when I finally got that, it doesn't need to be different than that. But anyway, back to the story. So I was frustrated as all get out because I wanted to be, I thought I was trying to be, you know, Joe Romance, and I thought I should be able to pull this off, and my wife seemed to be thwarting my best efforts, and I wasn't sure if it was that I was really that incompetent or that she was just difficult. I had a hunch it was she was just difficult, okay? <laughs> but, I, but I had this nagging doubt about that. So it was really, and it was really getting bad. So one day, I decided I'm going to prove once and for all whether it's me or her. And on, all the way home from work, I'm plotting and planning what I'm going to do to prove once and for all it's her, because I was pretty confident that's where it was, and I figured I could prove it, okay? And I plotted how I'm going to be Joe Romance. So this is what I did. I get home, and I put my stuff down. And I go on into the house, and I notice that Jenny's busy in the kitchen making dinner. I'm thinking, okay, here's my chance. Okay, honey, look out. Here I come, okay? And <clears throat> I go into the kitchen. Now, I don't want anybody... Not, nobody was there to help me, okay? So the fact I'm going to expose myself again, I don't want any judgment right now. You just hold that to yourselves, all right? Because you may think this is stupid, but it made total sense to me. I went into the kitchen, and I put my arms around her, and I grabbed her, and I swung her around, and I gave her a deep, passionate kiss. And guess what happened? She got hot, but it wasn't the kind of hot I was hoping for. She was furious with me. And I'm thinking... And she, I mean, it was really mad. It, she was really mad. It was really clear that something wasn't right. So I, I know, I'm smart enough to know this is a good time to get out of Dodge. Okay, so I, I head to the back of the house, and on the way back, I'm thinking, see, it's her. I am being, don't you laugh at me like that. <laughs> I, am, I am being every woman's dream right now. And it's obviously, because any other woman in the whole world would have loved that, and she's hating it. So I figured I need to leave some time for her to cool off. I went back and did whatever, and we got through the rest of that night. And at the end of the night, um, I had this nagging doubt still. She's, kids are all down. She's sitting at the table. And I went, okay, is it possible I missed something here? <laughs> okay, come on, ladies. You're not being very nice right now, okay? Because I'm doing the best I can. I'm just a guy. All right, so... She's sitting down having a cup of tea at the, at the table, and I sit down next to her, and I say, hey, Jen, I'm a little confused about something, because when I came home today, 
Um, I, now notice, I'm leading to a question. Watch this questioning process, okay? I, I was really wanting to just bless you and let you know how much I love you. And apparently, that didn't work. So I'm wondering, what is it about what I did that made you upset? Okay, notice that question, and I'm really curious at this point. Now, she asked me a question back that struck a chord of fear from head to toe. She looked at me, and she said, do you really want to know? You ever had anybody ask you that question and go, you know, maybe on second thought, I'll catch you later. But I was curious enough at that point that I said, yes, I really want to know. And she said, well, you know, when you came home, I was busy juggling like 10 different things at the same time, and I was trying to keep track of the kids, and it felt to me as if you didn't care anything about me and what was going on with my life, and you just wanted me to drop everything you were doing and just focus on you as if I didn't matter. And I went, that is so far from what I was trying to accomplish. How did you get there? Okay? And I I got it, though, and I said, well... Is there anything that I could have done differently? And then she said it again. Do you really want to know? I mean, that's a reasonable question because, you know, in the past, apparently I wasn't that interested. So I said, yes, I really want to know. I'd like to get this right. And she said, well, you know, I could think of two things. She said, first of all, if you'd have just paused at the doorway to the kitchen and just noticed what was going on and maybe noticed there was dishes piling up in the sink and maybe just rolled up your sleeves and started doing the dishes, I'd have felt so loved. And I'm thinking, well, I could have probably pulled that off. But she said, even if you hadn't been able to figure that out and you just said, hey, I can see you're really busy. Is there anything I can do to help? She said, that would have blessed me more than I could ever tell you. And I'm going, I could do this. This is not complicated. And then I had another question, okay, because I said another thing came because I knew there was more to what irritated her than just that. And there's something about the kiss that really bugged her. And I said, and I also think there was something about that kiss that really upset you. What was it about that? Do you really want to know? Okay, this is getting really intense, guys. Yes, I really want to know. She said, you know, in reality... This was so confusing. In some ways, this is still confusing to me. She said, there are some types of affection that feel really personal and private and intimate. And when you do them in public, okay, that's the part that confused me. When you do them in public, it makes me feel really uneasy and uncomfortable. And I'm thinking, public? Jenny, we're in our kitchen How is that public? But for her, I came to find out that even the possibility of being seen by our children feels public. And see, I'm thinking I'm blessing her because I'm doing my Tarzan routine where I want to show the world how much I love my woman, you know? And I'm thinking that that's going to bless her and not realizing it makes her want to crawl under a rock. So I said, is there anything I could do, I could have done differently that would have really blessed you? And she said, well, I can't think of anything right now. And then I realized at that moment that uh, um, there was a situation that had come up with our our eldest daughter, who was just a little girl at that time, and uh, I wondered if this might help. And you see, I had had a situation with Jess where at one point she just all of a sudden out of the blue started coming up to me when I'd come home and planting the most inappropriate kisses on me that just freaked me out. 
And I had no idea what to do, so I ran to my wife and said, Jenny, help, I don't know what to do with Jess. And she had a great idea. She said, the next time Jess comes up to kiss you, just before she kisses you, just turn your head to the side and let her plant one right on your cheek and then kiss her on the cheek. And I oh, okay, I could do that. And it worked beautifully. So I had this aha moment. I said, hey, what would it have been like for you when I came in the kitchen if instead of just grabbing you and giving you that deep, passionate kiss, if I had just came up and planted a really affectionate kiss on your cheek? And she paused and looked at me, and she kind of lit up, and she said, you know, I would have loved that. And I'm going, I could do this. And I got so excited. I ran to the back of the house and I grabbed a pad of paper and a pen. I said, hang on, I'll be right back. I came back and I said, okay, I want to get some more of this because I want to be a hero in my house. I don't, I'm tired of being a goat, okay? So, so I, uh, I started asking her all these questions and I started listening to her and I learned so much and I'm still doing it today. And I found all these amazing things about my wife. And I realized that so often I try to love her in ways that, that, that I would feel loved by that don't work for her. And I'm just thinking there's something wrong with her because if she was feeling right, she'd think that was great. And I then try and talk her into it, like this one, okay? Um, she hates it. If she's walking by me and I reach out and playfully pinch her butt, hates that. I mean, it's like she stops in her tracks and like there's steam coming out her ears, Okay? And I'm going, come on, lighten up. I'm just being playful. Okay? She hates it. Now, I'm telling you, if the day ever comes when I'm walking by, she, reach, she playfully reaches out and pinches my butt. Guys, I'm all there. <laughs> <laughs> She's being playful. I think this is awesome. But not for her. My wife, embarrassingly, I'm embarrassed of myself that she had to do this. But, guys, I'm going to give you a freebie. Okay? I have discovered, this is pretty much across the board, and guys, some of you are going to be surprised by this, because I know I was. Now, get this. Women, this is, now, women are very different, so this, all things aren't like this, but this one's about across the board. Women hate being groped. Okay, go figure. <laughs> My wife actually stood before me once and said, okay, I want you to hear this once and for all, and this was really embarrassing, but this is exactly how she did it. There are three places on my body you are never allowed to touch without permission. Here, here, and here. <laughs> and I went, okay, that's pretty clear. I think I can get that. <laughs> I mean, I get it, okay? And it doesn't matter how playful I think I'm being. It makes my wife's spirit shrivel. And that's not good for us. So if I want to be smart and learn how to make my wife's heart soar, all I got to do is ask the right questions and listen carefully to the answer. Now, I'm telling you it from the guy perspective. Ladies, this is exactly the same in reverse. You want to understand how to make your guy's heart sing? You'd ask the right questions and listen to the answers and get to know him and what blesses him. Now, what you do with that and how much you cater to that and whatever, you guys got to decide and be healthy people of integrity, okay? But you, but you won't even have the option if you don't have the information. All right, so... Adopt a no-losers policy. Guys, I told you a lot about this on, uh, last night when I talked about safety. 
And the no-losers policy, two key things. Make it unacceptable. Remember, you are teammates, and you both win or you both lose. Make it unacceptable for either spouse to walk away feeling as if he or she lost. When you are trying to solve a problem, when you are trying to use work talk and figure out what you're going to do about a situation, after you understand, ideally, how each other feels, okay, you go ahead and you make sure that you recognize that you are teammates and you both win or you both lose, so you make it unacceptable for either person to walk away feeling as if they lost, because if my wife walks away feeling like she lost, we lost. If I walk away feeling like we lost, we lost. It's only when we both love the alternative, and therefore, redefine winning as finding a solution you both feel good about, and I like to go even less compromised than that. Finding a solution you both love. And guess why this works? Because we serve a God who is devoted to unity. He lives in unity. And even though you may be as different as Bob and Mary Joe or Bob and Jenny Paul, he doesn't care. He will bring you into unity and he will make your hearts be like one if you let him. And I've been on, I mean, I'm, my wife is no less different than me than Bob and Mary Joe are. And you'll see a picture of her in a second. But um, I hear you. Um, <laughs> he agrees that we're really different because he knows he made us that way, okay? We have very different feelings. And I've been on the front side of a, a, a difference more times than I can count where I looked at it and said, with where I'm starting and where she's starting, there is no way humanly possible we could ever come up with a solution we both love. And guess what? To date, I have never been right once. The only thing I might have been right about is that there's probably no way humanly possible. But guess what? We're not restricted by what is humanly possible. And God will find a way to get your hearts together with each other and with him if you let him. I can't explain it. There have been ways in which we've gotten to be on the same page that defies explanation. But he will do that. I wonder if this is going to mean I'm going to have trouble getting out of town. All right. And lastly, make sure that you have regular fun time together. It is key. Um, you got to build it in. There's my honey. Whoop, where, where? There she is. There's my little girl. We are playing in Yellow, uh, Yellowstone at that point. And the next picture is of Jenny and my two youngest kids when we were on a uh, road trip to Yellowstone. There they are. Aren't they pretty? My little girl. My girls are gorgeous. The oldest one I don't have a picture of. She's actually a model. I mean, she is, she is like, you know, boy, I'll tell you what, if you think that's an easy deal for a dad, whoo-wee, she got a lot of attention, and it just freaked me out. Um, anyway, whoo, it's really coming down. That's good. All right, so make sure you build fun time into your relationship. If all your relationship is about working on hard stuff, guys, it's just going to feel old and tiring, but you've got to consciously, intentionally build fun into your marriage. Now, I'm going to, first of all, I want to, as I end here, I want to take a moment and I want to thank you for allowing us to come to Champaign to share our heart and our passion with you all because we love, you know, we love marriage and we love to help people experience all that God has for you. And I want to end, I want to end with a story. Um, from what I understand, this is a true story, but I wasn't there, so I can't tell you for sure, but I've heard that this is the way it, it, it occurred. 
Sorry, I keep adjusting the mic and making this tough for you guys. Sorry. Um, Apparently, this is a story that occurred to the famous golfer Arnold Palmer. And some years ago, a number of years ago, apparently there was a time when Arnold Palmer got a, uh, um, a call from the king of Saudi Arabia when Saudi Arabia had a king. That's how long ago it was. And um, the king asked if Arnold Palmer would be willing to come over and play a round of golf with him. Now, Arnold was really busy in those days, and apparently his first response is, why would I want to do that? I got too much else going on. And, uh, um, and I could understand that I'm not a golfer, but to me, the thought of playing golf in Saudi Arabia sounds like, you know, one big sand trap. I can't imagine how that would be fun, all right? But he had a buddy that was with him at that time, and the buddy said... Um, Arnold, think about this. How often have you had the opportunity to play golf with a king? So he really got through to him, and Arnold said, you know, maybe I should go ahead and do this. So he went ahead, and he, he agreed, and he went over to Saudi Arabia, played a round of golf with the king, had a great time, great experience, and the king was so blessed by Arnold actually coming over, he wanted to give him a gift. And he said, I really want to give you something to show you a token of my appreciation what can I give you? And Arnold said, no, really, you know, just the honor of playing golf with the king is all I need. I don't want anything. But the king was insistent, and he kept pressing. So Arnold finally thought for a moment. He said, I know what. If you just give me a golf club, that would be great. You know, just, you know, you decide what one. And he goes, and, he go, and, and the king said, that would be great. So Arnold leaves. Weeks go, you know, time goes by. He kind of forgets about it. You know, kind of wondered, I wonder what kind of a golf club a king would give me. I mean, would, it, you know, would the shaft be precious metal of some sort or maybe the, the head of the club be embedded with jewels or what would it be? You know, what, would a, what would kind of a golf club would a king give? And then finally, the, the, the package arrives, postmarked Saudi Arabia. So Arnold's kind of curious at that point. So he tears into it and he looks inside and he's so shocked by what he finds because inside was the deed and a set of keys to a golf club. The king bought him a resort. So here's the moral of that story, guys. We serve the king above all kings. And he owns cattle on a thousand hills. And we are his precious children. And guys, he wants nothing but the best for you and your marriage. And here's the thing you want to remember. When you are in the presence of a king who loves you like that, don't ask for small gifts. He wants to give you, with your marriage, he wants to give you and bless you with the whole resort. And there is no reason you should have to settle for less because he will make it happen if you let him and you get in line with his design and his tools. And hopefully we've given you a few tips, a few tools that maybe you can use to make more of that possible. Thank you very much for the privilege of coming to spend these couple of days with you. God bless. Please, please remember to do the, uh, the, the evaluations. That would mean the world to us. And I'm going to hurry up and see if I can get out of Dodge. <laughs>